0: And what seems to be going on pretty reliably so far is finding relationships of uh, complementarity and mutual correction rather than adversarial uh, processing, right, The attempt to dominate or destroy. Right. uh, that, That, I think, for me, not only what we're talking about, but the exemplification of how we're talking and how we're uh, entering into relationship, how we're reprioritizing, we're moving off of the product and the position and trying to really move into process and participation. And that's, um, well, that's that's always been very important to me because uh, as you know, I aspire towards the Socratic ideal, but that is now even more so the case uh, for me because I see that ability to um, enact Uh, Functional as opposed to dysfunctional and adaptive as opposed to maladaptive uh, Collective intelligence and bring it into something like collective rationality so that it can effectively so that we Can effectively aspire aspire to collective rationality and wisdom Um, that that has become that has become very very central uh, to me and like so the, the the process of all this discussion over the last year, meeting all of you guys and women, and, and then engaging in uh, the work on the After Socrates project has all has just it has intensified and very dramatically deepened. It was already deep, I believe, but it has intensified and dramatically deepened uh, my commitment to the Socratic ideal of uh, dialogos. That has now become. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of very, very. I would say that's sacred to me in the way I talk about in this series.
1: Right. Okay. You've you've already breached on some. Aren't breached. You've already touched on some of yeah. the things that that we were going to discuss. Um, sure. The first being rationality, and so you said you said collective rationality. Yeah. So so that seemed to be an interesting um, idea, um, and dialogos. So so what's the difference between just ordinary rationality? Uh, and and let's say collective rationality and Dialogue and dialogos you know? Right.
0: So let's let's uh, Well, let's do it first. What's the difference between sort of ordinary or com- the common right notion of rationality and the and the notion I'm arguing for and then we'll do that sort of individually because that will give me an, an analogic basis for them talking about uh, The collective is that okay? Does that sure? Make sense? Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Typically uh, and I know this because I teach I teach on rationality and so I get to see people's and these are bright educated young people They're right. And so they're sort of the best representative representative of what we call folk psychology so within the cog academic world folk psychology is the psychological, the implicit, largely implicit psychological theories that most people are carrying around. So people have theories, implicit theories about intelligence, uh, about rationality, right, 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 right. And it's folk psychology. They have implicit oh. theories about how memory works. They have implicit theories about what concepts are. Um, now, one thing we should put on the table right away um, is, um, and this is what I, uh, I spent a lot of time doing in Introduction to Cog is most of those folk psychological intuitions have turned out to be wrong. They have turned out to be uh, very wrong, and for for a kind of important reason.
1: Right. Uh, so, so let's say you know our ideas about rationality, our ideas yeah. about wisdom,
0: yeah, our, ideas, our about, ideas
1: about intelligence. You know, all, all of them are are, even, are very or even, distorted or very
0: yeah yeah very very skewed. Our um, ideas about memory. Uh, let me give you an example for, for memory because it's it's far enough away from our topic that'll be a little less controversial, a little little mm-hmm. easier to just sort of establish. Um, so many people, we have all these metaphors, in fact, that bespeak this. We think of memory as like a like uh, like a room in which we store things, and we go in there and we retrieve it and we search through our memory. And so uh, the metaphor we have is kind of like we like a library, and we're sending people in, and they're moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why, and, and this brings me to the point I wanted to make. We have these folk psychological notions because we have to remember that in our folk psychological context, we're not primarily interested in explaining phenomena. We're interested in primarily predicting and training. So, right. There's a language of explaining and a language of training. Now, here, here's what I want to say. If I want to train your memory, it's a really good thing to use that idea of a room, right? Here, here's a, this is, you see it on Sherlock, right? You have your you have your memory palace or your mind palace, right? You have this room, it's called the method of loci. And let's say I'm gonna to talk to Andrew, and I'm first talk about rationality. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I get a room, like a space, maybe this house that I'm in, I'm fully familiar with And The library is where I'm gonna to talk to Andrew about rationality, so I form an image of you in the library, and there's books, and there's knowledge, and oh, right, right. And then, then, then I'm next gonna to talk to, you know, Andrew perhaps about transformation. Well, that's the kitchen, and I picture Andrew in the kitchen, and he's he's doing. And so what I do is I make all these images and they're in different places. And what I do is I actually search. I go from room to room to room in my mind. And this is a powerful way to train memory. The, the ancient orators could use this technique to memorize speeches that would last like six hours. So it's a really powerful way to train your memory. And, so, and it goes very well with all those metaphors. The thing is, our, our memory doesn't work like that at all. That's good language for training it. But you, you, you don't actually have that sort of, you know, search, serial search. Because, for example, um, can you please uh, tell me Justin Bieber's phone number?
1: Mm, no. No.
0: No, you don't know. You don't know yeah, it. Yeah. No, you didn't scroll through all of your phone numbers and realize that it wasn't there.
1: Yeah.
0: You just know.
1: Is that, that like it, a heuristic or something? Or, or well,
0: that... no. There's a, it's 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 that it's there's a heuristic. There's also a kind of parallel search. There's a kind of memory, probably in neural networks, as opposed to located memory like in uh, standard computers. Um, and, and you know, and, and your memories aren't stable. You're constantly mm. reconstructing them. Mm. You're constantly rewriting them. That's why uh, confident eyewitness, I, confident eyewitness testimony, forty nine percent of it is inaccurate. 49% of it is wrong, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? Because confidence measures how meaningful you find the experience, not how accurate it is. Right. Or, 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 you know, we think, you know, in a library, things that are, you know, uh, that are relevant to each other are stored close to each other. But like in your memory, if I give you a, if I say color, red, say another color as quickly as you can. So red.
1: Red? Okay. Or okay. say another color. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ready.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So red, blue, okay? Uh, Now, give me uh, a word that rhymes with blue. True. Okay. So red is close to blue, and blue is close to true. Is red close to true? Mm -hmm. No. No. See? (laughs) Your memory. So although we talk about memory, Uh and we can train it with the, and it seems so intuitive to us that that must be how memory works. That's not how memory actually works. Do you see that? I'm trying to show you just in these sort of, pony you know dog and pony examples that your memory doesn't actually work that way. In fact it's taking us a long and, and and attention doesn't work just like a spotlight and all kinds of Yeah.
1: So I'm things. jumping ahead to say that this is what you mean about wisdom too, right? Is seeing through yes. self-deception. Yes. Right? Uh, well, or 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 these these forms can either lead to self-deception or they can lead to a greater understanding depending how we use them or how transparent they are to us. Right.
0: right. So, so the, the, what I'm trying to get at, yes, I, uh, that's, I think, a very appropriate way of reframing what I'm saying. If we don't pay attention to the difference between our folk psychological language of training
1: yeah. and our
0: scientific language of explaining, we can equivocate, we can confuse them together uh-huh. and thereby deeply deceive ourselves. Now, I and, think,
1: and get into all kinds of New Age nonsense.
0: Uh, well, in New Age nonsense, but also we could fail to... Um, more powerfully um, even use our memory when we're studying for a test so Uh so people think well the best way to study for a test is sort of read the material over and over again and rehearse it Uh, because it's like sort of you know writing over and over again on the same spot in the library to make Uh it deeper but that's not the best way to try and study for a test for example because you're not actually using your memory for how it actually functions
1: oh can i can i just do a slight aside here, yeah, because this is fascinating to me. I was talking to Zach Stein yeah. recently. Do you know Zach? Do you know? Yeah, Zach and I have talked. Yes. Yeah. He's a brilliant guy. Anyway. Oh, um, totally.
0: Totally. Um, he brilliant. told me
1: that his, uh, that he's a, um, high achieving dyslexic. Yes. And he described his mind, uh, and it, it, it seemed to be very similar t- to mine. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I, I have the same thing that he has. Oh, In other words, you read the paragraph. First, and then you read the sentence, and then you read the word. You don't read from the word up to the paragraph. Like you, Ah. you're too in the gestalt, and then it's. Then you have to get to the to the to the detail to the feature, right? Yeah. yeah. So so an ordinary mind kind of, or most. I shouldn't say ordinary because nobody has an ordinary mind, but most people kind of build up from from maybe the feature to the gestalt, and then a person who is, is sort of has that kind of dyslexia. It doesn't mean they can't read or anything. They just kind of do things in a different, you know,
0: different way. It's a little it's a it's a little bit more complicated. Everybody Uh, everybody actually simultaneously again because you're not doing things step by step the way we think in language. Yeah. So that's why we had to get neural networks to solve what's called the chicken and egg problem. Uh Because when I'm reading I, I need to Uh, Read the letters in order to read the word, but I need to know what the word is in order to disambiguate the letters So you're simultaneously Uh going from feature to gestalt and gestalt to feature. Sure Right. So it's in parallel again, which is not something that's easy to put into words, right? Uh It doesn't go well with sort of again our folk psychological understanding of how we do things but it's modeled well in neural networks for example. Now the thing is of course, everybody's sort of doing that, but there is variation on with, like how it's skewed. Some people are more skewed, uh-huh. peoply, some people are more skewed uh, gestalt if you'll allow Got me. It. rather weird. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my main point of all of this, and thank uh-huh. you because you've, you've helped me sort of explicate my point in this discussion we've just had, is we have to be willing uh, to challenge our folk psychological notions of mm. rationality. Yeah, uh, because there's, right, it's very plausible that like all of our other folk psychological constructs, while it has some important truths to it, it also has a lot of misrepresentation and misdirection with respect to the phenomena.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so why that's a little bit more challenging for us, I think, is that, you know, if you, if you have sort of a, a memory that's not that great, it's a little bit affects your sort of status and your self-esteem a little bit, but, you know, not that much. But these terms, intelligence, rationality, and wisdom, they carry with them a tremendous... We identify with those aspects of our cognition very, very powerfully. Mm. So that's why people get very, very sort of errr uh, about notions of intelligence, rationality, and wisdom. Uh, so, again, we need to pull apart, right, our identification with these processes which of course we should address eventually but we need to pull that apart from our attempt to get our best understanding of them because again our just like all of our a lot of our my side biases and our egocentric bias our identification with these processes can actually deeply impede us getting a good understanding of them Mm. i needed to say all of that precisely because i want to challenge two standard notions of what it is to be rational
1: okay go for it
0: OK, so one notion of what rationality is, you know, it's kind of the Spock version uh, for for, uh, for those of you, you and I of that generation, we know, right, th- mm-hmm. this idea that to that uh, rationality is logicality. And you see this in, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of online forums that sort of, that's the model of rationality, that rationality is um, to be as logical as, as possible. Um, and Mr. Spock sort of exemplified that. Um, and the problem with that is uh it it we have to we have to set it into an overarching idea that ultimately we are goal-directed. We are we're seeking goals, we're seeking to achieve goals. And so one thing we have to note is that what rationality means method as a method for us is we're looking for the most reliable and systematic way of achieving our goals. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you say, wow, but that's fine. Uh, logic is the most reliable and systematic way of achieving truth. The problem with that is it's not true. Um, not because logic isn't rele- relevant to rationality, but you can't identify rationality with logic. And here's the problem. Logic works in terms of certainty and a completely formal system.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and what that means, and I'm trying not to tr- try not to presuppose too much be presumptuous of what people have seen of the series, but what that means is you're basically into a kind of processing that has to check all of the problem space. It has to check all of the information. It has to check all the possible options. You, you have to be comprehensive and exhaustive.
1: You have to be kind of like a machine, a machine of some kind. Rather, no than machine. Yeah, mate, but no right? machine
0: can do that. Like even yeah. our even our best chess playing machines can't mm-hmm. search all the possible options it's combinatorial explosive they can't search all of the like that the you this this the, the problem of search is is, is it still the profound problem it's the it's the, this there's is just the, too much
1: too much information too, much,
0: too yeah. much so if you were and everybody acknowledges this who is working in within rationality herbert and simon you know i think it was was it simon's book i think or was it newell and simon or was simon's book i think bounded rationality that Rationality is always bounded in terms of what's actually possible for us. Uh, Mm Cherniak talked about we're in the finitary predicament, uh, and this goes to the core of my work. Mm -hmm. We can't reason, we can't make inferences on the basis of all possible options, all possible probability, all possible information. That's combinatorially explosive. So what we do is we bound it. We zero in on what's salient, here you knew I was going to do this, and relevant to us, right? And, and so that means before you can even use logic, you have to have pre-logical processes of problem formulation, the direction of attention, searching mm-hmm. memory. And those are not obstacles to being rational because they prevent you from being fully logical. They actually facilitate, they they constitute you being a viable cognitive agent. If you don't have that, you're going to be The next... The next task I try to perform, I'm gonna hit combinatorial explosion and then I've committed cognitive suicide.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so if we're dreaming or something like that, you know, a dream is, is, we don't normally think of a dream as, as being rational.
0: But it could uh, But, but it,
1: it, could, it could have a rational function or it could have a,
0: yes. is that what you mean? Well, uh, uh, more than that, I mean, I, I think that what you see is, uh, one plausible account of what dreaming does is it's a kind of optimization process on how your brain is operating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not so much the content of the dream, but it's sort of the way in which your, your your brain is sort of practicing getting better at adjusting what it finds salient and relevant. So it does weird variations on mm-hmm. patterns that you've sort of acquired through the day. Uh-huh. And it sees which one of those sort of optimize its ability to track and predict and solve problems. That's why you're often solving weird problems in your dreams. Right, right. right yeah. Right. And uh-huh. so, and that, that looks all sort of crazy. It's all illogical but it could turn out to be rational because it could be actually optimizing this process of relevance realization that is so central, especially, and here's what I wanna come back, if it systematically and reliably improves your ability to zero in on relevant information, and then I'm gonna add something to that that is directly implied by that, it systematically and and reliably improves your ability to overcome self-deception, then I think that's how we we should understand rationality. Rational practice is a practice that systematically and reliably improves your ability to overcome self-deception and to optimize your ability to zero in on the relevant information such that you are more and more capable of being a good general problem solver and achieving your goals. And that's what rationality means. So it's not logicality, but it's also not just being intelligent. Mm-hmm. Right, because the problem with intelligence is intelligence is basically uh, Leo and I argue this. Leo Ferrara and I argue this, and, and I think you can make a good case that a lot of people are, are implicitly arguing for this. That what we're measuring when we're measuring intelligence is we're measuring sort of your working memory capacity to zero in on relevant information. And mm-hmm. the problem with that is, and this is the issue, right? Very often what I, what I initially might find relevant or salient is actually a kind of bullshitting. It's actually taking me away, right, from being able to solve the particular problem. I'm paying attention to the wrong things because my machinery is designating certain things as relevant or salient that actually will not help me to zero in on or track the patterns that I need in order to find my goals, right? And this is where you need insight.
1: Yeah.
0: Because When you have an aha experience, you realize, oh no, I formulated the problem the wrong way and I've got to change what I find relevant and salient. And mm-hmm. that means if we have an account of rationality in which insight does not play a central role, we do not have a good account of insight because mm-hmm. the machinery of insight is the machinery by which you optimize your ability to zero in an information. And it's the same machinery you use to overcome self-deception. Mm-hmm. So the problem with that, with the with uh, the uh, the uh, the idea of it just being intelligent, is rationality. It, so intelligence is what you're using. Well, there's the a lot of.
1: Uh, if I could just, there's a lot of very stupid intelligent people, right? Well, they're, uh, I would say they're high- they have they have the the machineries all there, but they're not using it correctly, or that's right. They're, they're that's not using exactly. it in a, in a optimized way or in a in a let's say ethical way or in a uh, yeah.
0: or, an, or, or or a non-self-delusional way, right? Or, AK, right? Right, And so that's exactly my point, Andrew. They're, 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 you're, you use your intelligence to solve your problems, but that can generate all kinds of skewed salience, landscapes, capacities for acting yeah. immorally, for acting in a self-deceptive manner. Rationality is what you use in order to deal with all of that Right, all of those right. negative side effects generated by uh, using your intelligence in an adaptive manner.
1: So, rationality the, is 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 a practice uh, rather than uh, something you're just born with. In other oh, yes, yeah. no, no, you, so that, that's very to, important to think to to, to know that. Right, that's yes, something yes. you work on, uh, and it's it's. You said it was aspirational, right? It's something. Yes, yes, something you want to, it, to it. become a rational person, even though. Um, it seems like an ideal. Like uh, it's not a very likely uh, scenario that you would become one hundred percent rational. Um, yeah,
0: I don't. I, I I don't even know if um, if that's possible. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know if that's the correct way to frame it. Uh, okay. uh, because because it uh, it brings with it a sense of an idea of completeness or finality, and because mm-hmm. your relevance because your intelligence is a self organizing evolving dynamical system. Because the world is a self-organizing dynamical system, there's no there's no sort of final state you can get into where you can say where you can pronounce now I am forever free from some, yeah, the yeah. problem. So it's all
1: process. process, sort of. It's all process. All right. Well, this is this is how I interpret the first
0: noble truth of Buddhism. I'm not a Buddhist, mm-hmm. but like even though you know Alexander says I am, but right, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, uh, um, But I interpret it as, you know, not that all of life is suffering, because that makes no sense, but that no matter where you turn, there is no place in which you can be free from the threat of self-deceptive, self-destructive behavior, no matter how smart you are, no matter how intelligent you are.
1: Yeah, you'd always be missing something, wouldn't you? You'd always have a blind spot somewhere. Well, uh, uh, or, or always of, have a lot of blind spots. Uh, a lot know, of them.
0: You know. So, you know, if you take a look, a lot of psychology is going through the replication crisis, results aren't getting replicated. Well, you know what is robustly getting replicated time and time again? All this stuff about cognitive bias, all this stuff about self-deception, all this stuff about how intelligence is necessary but not sufficient for rationality. All of that is very, very robust. It is not going through the re- application crisis it's an aspect of our cognition that we should have very strong confidence in which means given these two points we should not think of rationality as identical to either logicality or either to our intelligence our sort of uh, our, our innately given problem-solving capacity because that's what I think um, intelligence is and 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 I think this would actually ameliorate a lot of useless debates people don't like the idea of you know, that IQ is fixed because then they think they're doomed, right? They think, oh, no, right? Because, you know, and and then there's all these objections and, right? and, But, and this is, I think, this is an argument I get from Stanovich. We shouldn't be caring so much about intelligence. Yeah, G is a good predictor. It's one of our best. G is measures of general intelligence. Do you know what I should all, I really care about about you? How rational you are. Yeah. because that's going to predict how moral you behave how how uh, how you can overcome egocentrism how you're less self-deceptive I can more like what right? about the
1: whole effective world right uh, uh, and ah, all that because uh, I was you know I was, I was yeah. thinking about how how um, when I was talking to Guy last night uh, he kind of lives in that kind of a, a realm he's he's very rational as well but but he doesn't he doesn't he he doesn't swim in rational arguments he he kind of swims in something else or, or
0: well but but oh, but that's I mean, a beautiful... but again
1: I, I guess i'm i'm I, i'm still i still have this narrow definition of rationality when i am talking no but that's but
0: that's great what you you just that's a beautiful segue for me because the, the, I, I i so i've i have 2 ways in which uh, the folk psychological notion is too narrow it either identify and it often does it both in a contradictory manner, but right. it often identifies rationality with being intelligent. Yeah, right and uh, right and therefore fixed like intelligence But no, it's not rationality is not intelligence and rationality is developmental You can get better and better and better mm-hmm. you can inspire mm-hmm. and it's not equivalent to ra- to logicality Just being good at logic is not it's the evidence is clear. It does not make you very rational actually rationality is about knowing where when it's about rate rationing it's about knowing where when and to what degree to be logical Mm -hmm. now this brings what you just said brings me up to the third way in the folk psychological notion ours not cross-culturally but ours in the west is deficient Mm -hmm. is we limit rationality to just inferential processes about belief right we say oh we limit to just to use some of my terminology. We limit rationality to just propositional knowing, and that the, with the goal, uh, the sole goal of rationality, is to get true beliefs, which of course is ridiculous. Um, I could get, in, you know, an indefinitely large number of true beliefs in my room by, you know, you know, noting correlations between how many paper clips are in the room and how many cups are in the room. Like the amount of information in this room, the amount of true information is overwhelming. What we actually want is true information that's relevant to us relevant yeah. to our problem-solving tasks relevant to our moral undertakings etc
1: yeah i was listening to somebody who was talking about intelligence i put that in the article i write it, and he said mm-hmm. that wisdom is when you can say so what like you're you can discard um all that information which is yes. not important and, yeah. and you can you can narrow in on on what really matters like yes in a deep exactly. existential way not not on, on, on pro, um, you know, pro, as you say, products or... or
0: yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes our goals are genuinely epistemic. We want to know the true causes mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. But, and this is the point I want to make, but if we bring in the many other ways in which we try to couple ourselves to reality, our procedural knowing, well, then our procedural knowing, well, then we want systematically and reliable ways of getting and improving our skills. -hmm. Our perspectival knowing. Well, then we want systematically and reliable way of improving our right, our salience landscaping and our ability to generate a sense of right presence. Our participatory knowing, we want systematic and reliable ways of getting into the best right kind of existential mode. For example, should I be in the having mode right now? Should I be Mm -hmm. in the being mode? Should I be treating you categorically? Should I be treating you individually? Like all of those kinds of things. And how am I appropriately set? You see, and the thing about guy. Mm -hmm. This guy is swimming, right? First of all, relevance is not cold calculation. It's not logic. Relevance yeah. is about a, an act of commitment. I am committing my precious time and resources in a gamble, a risky gamble that this, I care. I'm yeah. caring about this information rather than that information because I'm ultimately trying to take, take care of myself and take care of the world. Well, this guy.
1: word care seems very important because, you know, one of the, reasons um, Some people would would you know want to be Transrational or have you know post-rational experiences or have experiences that were not what they would consider to be rational um, was, is because rationality often seems like a cold form of analysis, oh, yeah. I, but I, I, but you're saying exactly the opposite, right?
0: I'm saying exactly the opposite. So the and this goes back to Socrates. So the Socratic Platonic tradition right? All of this, you know, this argumentative stuff, the inferential stuff is bound up with also abilities to change perspective, to cultivate sophroson, that, you know, um, a, a kind of salience lens. That's what we, we, that's one of the cardinal virtues. We usually uh, translate it very poorly as moderation, but it's much more like your salience landscaping has evolved. So it spontaneously self-organizes to tempt you towards what is more true, towards what, Right, it's basically uh-huh. your perspectival knowing has been trained so that you're much less subject to bullshit, right? Yeah. Uh, so you,
1: you, you know, usually shit. we're. Yeah, this is something you said in the series. Usually we're tempted to bullshit, yeah. but I like you say, what, what if we were tempted to the good, the good, and, or whatever that might be? Yeah, and, and wouldn't and and wouldn't that be part of what a wise person has?
0: They they would come into a situation, right, and 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 before they're getting into perhaps any specific inferential processing, they're sort of drawn to what's not only what's relevant, but what's, you know, uh, you know in, in a problem-solving sense, but maybe what's also relevant in a moral sense, uh, mm-hmm. what needs to be addressed. You see, that's the thing about Socrates, right, and, and the Platonic tradition, right? All of that argumentative stuff is bound up with love. It's profoundly. So mm-hmm. we see these, you know, post-romantic tradition, we yeah. see these as, a, you know, spirituality is about love and science is about reason, and the two are opposed and they're yeah. separate. But no, in the whole Socratic, Neoplatonic tradition, they're bound up together. In fact, Socrates, you know, Socrates claimed to know *ta erotica. He he knew what to care about. He 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 did he did he. Did, there were some things he actually did claim to know. People That's know a good
1: definition knew. of wisdom, isn't it? To know what to yes, care about. Yes. To yeah. know. So he
0: he was seeking a rationality of appropriate caring, hmm. right? Uh, now that caring can be caring for the truth. It can be also caring for, by like caring about what's right. It can be caring about right uh, what's beautiful. You see, all and you, and a lot of the Socratic dialogue is not about coming to an argumentative conclusion. Mm-hmm. It's about trying to bring in the perspectival and participatory knowing, right? And and that's why Socrates often doesn't use analogies to argument. You often uses analogies to skills because procedural knowledge is a little bit closer than propositional knowledge. To perspectival mm. and participatory, right? And so he's trying. You're bringing in the perspectival and the participatory knowing because you're trying to shape it. Again, you often the dialogues don't end in any kind of inferential conclusion. They're often right. they also often leave you well. Oh, we don't know, or, We don't have any clear conclusion well, about what. Well, we may, it's to... like
1: if I guess it's like uh, it's like good art or something. It doesn't. Yes. It doesn't wrap up the whole story. So you're you, you're satisfied with your product uh, in like a like a Hollywood movie. It it kind of opens a new vista for you.
0: It opens a new Vista, and it also it also launches you onto aspirational transformation. So what you'll uh-huh. see at the end of a lot of these dialogues is there's no argumentative conclusion, but you'll see the – so, um, like, there'll be uh, – uh, uh, like, there's a dialogue on courage, and there's two people arguing, and it's interesting because – Um, They're arguing about courage and they represent these two positions. I'm talking about there's a general and he thinks just his common-sense notion of what courage is That's that's the correct. Oh, yeah,
1: I've read that. Yeah yeah. right.
0: He's full psychological and then there's a guy who's a sophist and he has this sort of technical sort of logical Definition right that he's heard from somebody else right and Socrates rejects both of those And, and 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 then you get to the end and there's no conclusion as to what courage is other than the fact that these two approaches Mm-hmm. have been shown to be inadequate but what you see is both of the generals say they want their sons to come and learn from socrates to spend time with socrates uh-huh. because the that the process
1: has Well maybe them. because maybe perhaps courage is is not something that you can define it's something that that it's it's not something you you can define in any absolute sense No it kind exactly. of made, made me think about heidegger and and, and what he talked when he talked about thinking and how how yes. you know concepts a true concept is something that doesn't have any kind of finitude to it. It just reveals itself more and more over time, more and more and more truth yep. over, over time and, and 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 you can't ever pin pin it down or
0: that's what I that goes back to what I was saying earlier about you have to get a, away from models that seek completeness and being uh-huh. a finished thing. And I think that's exactly the right. So Socrates, the point of the dialogue is you have to step back. And this is why Plato writes dialogues as opposed to just straight arguments. Hmm. The point is the, you, you can't get a definition of courage, but as you watch Socrates move between these two positions, the scylla and charybdis of going oh. wrong, you get a sense of how to get on the track, how to aspire to courage and that Socrates is reliably on it. So you develop a kind of trust, in following Socrates because he has exemplified, even though he can't explicate, courage. Hmm. Hmm. So the idea that I would like to bring into a lot of current practices like guys circling is to not always just be participating in the process, but also to step back and look at what we're exemplifying in the process. Um, So like, you know, in circling, you're, you're doing all these things to maintain the flow mm-hmm. of the distributed cognition, mm-hmm. and, and everybody's feeling that it's very meaningful. But whatever you step back and say, yeah, but, but what is meaning? What is meaning in this situation? What And not just abstractly, because you've got the phenomenology, it's active, it's engaged, and you have multiple people there that have m- multiple perspectives on it. And you can start doing something like a Socratic dialogue. But, well, what is it to be meaningfully connected? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then what you can do is check with, you know, are we still exemplifying the phenomena we're trying to explicate? You try to keep the two, like, tightly coupled together, so you don't, you, you're constantly moving, Chris, Master Pietro, and I talk about this in the, in the chapter we wrote on Dialogos, D- you're constantly sort of, you, you've got, you're constantly moving, but in an integrated fashion between theor- theory and theoria, between, you know, theorizing and then going back and really, theoria, really...
1: testing it out like in the-, the...
0: Yeah, 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 uh-huh. really, really... Ex- right? Really experiencing it in action. Mm-hmm. Right? And so rationality, then mm-hmm. is would be for collective intelligence would be to try and find systematic and reliable ways of getting that kind of pattern of communication and connection between people in place.
1: Hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. It seems to me that that's very important uh, now, especially mm-hmm. because we're in a very anti-rational t- time or, or something. Right. Everything we're, is about sensation and feeling, and um, I don't want to be, you know, say that feeling is bad, but but yeah. everything is about every, every, everything is based on um, you know clicks and likes and salience. experience and salience. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that seems to be very well, important to, 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 yeah. Okay. That, you know, there's the ocean of experience and then there's also stepping out and coming back in and going yep. in and out of that. Mm.
0: I think it's very needed. And I would want to, I would want to say that let's use the Socratic uh, model we just had. And also the, the, some of the uh, points we've made, I think our, our time is um, irrational or uh, lacking in rationality in two senses in one sense. Uh-huh. We're like the general the one general who just let's go with my intuition and my impulse and whatever Just sort of comes to yeah. me. And then we have no no. Let's be rational. Let's be technical. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. That's what I was rational. gonna
1: say as well. I mean yeah, that's yeah. What, It's this this hyper rationality, which is is
0: uh, I don't think it's rationality at all
1: Which you would um, say is not rationality at all, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah uh, I, I, it, I'm still have this def I still have the folk definition of rationality right. in my head. So it's almost hard for me to have the conversation until I've redefined the term rationality I, know, I completely for myself, understand. you know what I mean?
0: And like I said, you're struggling against not only just sort of the familiarity of your folk psychological conception, you're also struggling against the fact that we have set up all these cultural patterns of identification and evaluation around these terms, mm-hmm. right? And we reward people and we claim this and we claim that. Um, and um, that's also I think uh, acting as an obstacle to trying to get back to a notion of rationality that actually starts to overlap with wisdom you see that's what these two Mm -hmm. these two this notion of rationality is just being sort of you know practical you know uh, intelligence problem solving or the notion of rationality is just being sort of good logicality it it, it tells me nothing about wisdom Mm -hmm. basically it doesn't really help me Uh, Mm -hmm. it doesn't help me with that Systematic and reliable way of cutting through bullshit getting to what's relevant and then also Aspiring right properly aspiring so that my development is constantly evolving with reality in a In in, in a sort of uh, Continuous coupling Hmm. none of that is given to me by
1: those models Hmm. So you you talked to Ian McGilchrist recently. Oh my gosh. So so I, I you know, I'm very interested because you know, your your story is almost the opposite of his, but you're probably saying the same thing. Um, yeah. You know, because he talks about he talks about left brain, right brain. You talk about opponent processing, very working, much working together. Those seem to be kind of analogous. Whereas he says that rationality is just cutting the world up into bits and turning us into bureaucratic monsters. uh yeah. And uh, and we need to get more into the right brain wor- world of 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 you know so uh a feeling and 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 you know or context and and uh the right. lived so, experience the embodied experience of life you know so, and so how that, do you, How did you how did your conversation go how did you
0: you uh we're going to talk again it went so well we really clicked really deeply so uh you know rebel wisdom they recorded it it will be uh released at some point um so a couple points on that first of all um because this goes to what we were talking about earlier. uh, uh, Perhaps a uh, more helpful way to think of right and left is to think, and and, and I actually brought this up with Ian in person, and he said it was completely convergent with him, so I have good reason to believe I can speak sort of something that we are agreeing on because I have uh, in-person evidence, right? To think, uh, so you can, uh, because I came at it, I hadn't read Ian's work until about two weeks before I met, was going to meet him. Oh, okay, yeah because I came at this stuff and I came to similar conclusions from all the work I do on insight, right?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Insight problem solving. Um, so a good way to think about the right hemisphere is it's, it, it works more in terms of the gestalt.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And,
0: and, and so it likes wide open um, attention and it looks for, for like for, uh, for it's sort of pursuing pattern completion, right? And, right. Whereas the, the, Left hemisphere is more featurely oriented, and it does things in a step-by-step matter. It's doing, it's, it's doing something more like a pro, running a program than trying to complete a pattern. It's sort of building features up step-by-step-by-step, by step by step, right? Hmm. And so think about the kind of atten- it, it, attention it needs. It needs very narrow-focused. It looks for clarity. Yeah. For, you know for, It doesn't like ambiguity. Now, here's it's what, the folk
1: uh, idea of rationality would live in the, the left brain, but not the.
0: Well, and that's to and 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 that and that's I think part of our Cartesian heritage. That's to identify rationality with analysis. And Mary Cohen has brought this point up. And I think to identify rationality with analysis um, is a mistake. I think it's it, it, it well for all the reasons I've already articulated. It truncates uh, what rationality uh, should mean, uh, especially because rationality is vote ratio finding the patterns, rationing, mm-hmm. right? Getting the getting the proper context. It's a, it's a much more logistical notion. Uh-huh. So why do we have these two? Well, the left hemisphere is very good for well-defined problems. Problems in which you have a really good representation of your initial state, your goal state, what, the, mm-hmm. what actions and operations. What you
1: already know. It tells you what yeah. you already know about what you already know.
0: Yeah, it's familiar yeah. to you in a deep mm-hmm. way. So a multiplication problem would be for many people a very uh, a well defined familiar problem. Hmm. Now compare that to the problem of avoiding predation. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Well, I'm avoiding. You know. Well. Uh, you know. I'm, I, what's my initial state? I, I'm not sure. Right. Uh, right. Uh, you
1: don't get a notepad and start yeah, to write. What and am you don't know you? what the goal
0: state looks uh. like. Right. Uh, uh. Very clearly. Um, and, and, and this is the thing, Andrew. Most of our real world problems. This is why that that notion of rationality of analysis. Is so limiting. Most of our real-world problems are actually like the problem of predation; they are ill-defined problems. You and I are trying to have a good conversation right now. Mm -hmm. What's the initial condition? Well, we're not talking. That's not very helpful. What's Mm -hmm. the what's the what's what's the goal state look like? Well, I don't know. Does every good conversation look the same? No. They have some feature. What should I say? What should I do? Should I wave my hand? Should Should I raise my voice? Should I like what should like Right? You see what I mean? Or go yeah. on a successful first date or tell a yeah. joke.
1: You can't draw a picture uh, uh, to tell somebody this is how you go on a f- successful first date. You, you can't give a you can't go from a, a to program. B. Yeah. You can't give a program. There's no that program, yeah. Right, but
0: you can't That doesn't mean it's useless. There are ways we get better at going on dates. We get better at conversation and think about yeah. that. Think about that what I just said how that goes back to what Socrates is doing. In the dialogues, right? You get better at becoming courageous, right? But that doesn't mean I can give you a formula or a program for courage. Mm, yeah. Right. Now, when I, when, I, when I was talking to, like I said, we really, so Ian makes a distinction. And it's kind of the reverse of the distinction I make. So it, it, I think it's, it, was, it was largely semantic. He actually makes the distinction between rationality
1: and reason. Yeah, right, exactly. That's right. what I wanted to, to bring yeah, up. Yeah, and I picked up so on he that. Says in sense, reason booklet. is great because reason is holistic and it's yes. how you, you put everything together uh, and we should be reasonable, but but uh, but we're, we're overemphasizing rationality and cutting right. things into bits. So yeah.
0: here's what I can say then very clearly. I'm using rationality the way Ian uses reason. Exactly. And Ian's using yeah. reason <laughs> right, the way I use rationality, right? Right. right. So um, sure. what he rejects is um, what I consider to be that truncated, folk psychological notion of rationality that I think does not represent um, anything that will help facilitate our aspiration towards uh, wisdom.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: And so, although well, there is
1: a problem. Maybe uh, the problem I'm seeing is that 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 notion of rationality is so deep; it's like it's Cartesian. It's that's, woven into it's
0: woven into the scientific worldview. It's woven into our epistemological models, and those that worldview and those epistemological models get woven into our psychological models. They're woven into Freud. They're woven into Jung. They're they're woven into many. Uh, that's that, and you that's, you. that's why you. That's why you. That's why Guy is so attracted to Heidegger because yes. Heidegger is like he's profoundly trying to break out of that whole Cartesian yeah. way of thinking about belief and truth and rationality, and he's trying, I think, to get us back to a way of understanding rationality. Huh.
1: And so philosophy. maybe what he calls thinking is yes. what you call rationality. Totally, totally. It's what Heidegger calls thinking and what Emma Gilchrist calls reason.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Or we're
1: just having different semantic areas here. Or... Yes, I agree. Uh-huh. I agree. So
0: the the argument that I have sort of why I think rationality is actually an appropriate word is reason tends to be associated with reasoning but the problem with reason it's equivocal it can go to reasoning which means inference and argument uh-huh. or it can go to reasonable which means this kind of thing we're talking about so that's why i'm a little bit whereas the etymological origin of of rationality is ratio it's finding proportion it's it's putting things into proper relation it's getting the proper perspective it's, it's more about in,
1: relationship uh, yeah
0: exactly uh-huh. it's more about pattern completion than comp- than running a program to completion those are two very very different things
1: also we need to be unreasonable uh, at times uh what do you mean by that because well I, 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 we need to as you say break frame right so for are ah. to be Trying to be reasonable all the time. If you know, this is why there's shamanism. There, the you know, there were shamans and and uh, you know, t- t- as as you talked about in your series, uh, yeah, yeah, break out of the the yeah nine dot problem or
0: yep. So, but this brings me to this brings me to an important point. Um, I would want to say because I actually I actually have brought this argument up. I've presented at a conference at a couple conferences this idea that disruptive strategies are actually important for optimization in fact mm-hmm. yeah. they're systematically and reliably important for optimization so if you're running a neural network for example and you just let it just sort of run right it'll overfit to the data it'll it'll find patterns in its sample and really pick up on those patterns in its sample that don't actually generalize generalize to the population mm-hmm. you know this is sampling bias right And and so, because the machines are so powerful and your brain is way more powerful than any neural network. So think about how you can really zero in, right? And get bound to, you can overfit uh, to your particular sampling of data. Mm -hmm. So what do you do in the neural networks? Well, you you actually disrupt the network. You shut off some, you shut off half the nodes or you throw noise or static into the system. And what that does is it makes the neural network re-self-organize, right? And yeah. that re-self organization actually allows it to now generalize in ways it couldn't generalize before. Yeah. So you have to throw disruption in.
1: Well, of- I, I recently did some groff breathing uh, techniques, oh. things like that, and I, I I don't do psychedelics, but but uh, but that kind of experience just it throws you into these wild sort of spaces, right? Right, and it's uh, wild, exactly- and and that, and then you come out the other side as if you've gone into Alice in Wonderland. Uh, and you come out the other side sort of Like uh, and you have to reassemble your ordinary Existence and hopefully you've you've got some insight after after doing that.
0: Um, Yeah, and what what happens is your Perspectival and participatory knowing have been shifted and so a a new course of development is actually uh Available to you. Yeah think about think about like when you're in that, when you're in that space, it's like what happens in dreams. A lot of variations are being thrown at, like sort of generated. Options are being created that open up what's called the state space. It opens up the possibilities that, that your brain can actually get itself into. Like right? uh-huh. so your brain is a machine that's constantly making itself into a new kind of machine. And you want to periodically, like with a neural network, you want to open up. The, the options it can consider not only the options in the world it can consider but the options for what kind of machine it can be it's those mm. two together at the same time mm. right and so if it, and you you can see this even in insight problem solving if i give you an insight and i get and i moderately distract you or even throw some static into the picture some noise that yeah. will actually help to trigger your insight
1: of course yeah That's, okay so you get better at the game right if you're tripped up a, a um
0: but you, have, but you have to do it in the right way. It requires ah. finesse, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, an ex, there's a kind of expertise here. You have to do it in the right way, mm-hmm. right? There's no formula. But you have to do it in the right way. But there are systematic and reliable ways of getting better at doing that disruption. Now, here's my argument. This disruption is really indispensable to optimization. There are systematic and reliable ways of doing that. Wouldn't that, therefore, be integral to our account of wisdom? these disruptive processes and that means that although they're non-inferential they have actually no propositional content whatsoever because they're basically
1: oh yeah zero propositional content right
0: but nevertheless they move you towards a more optimal that optimization of you know i i have more options in what kind of cognitive being i can be yeah and there are more options about what kind of world i can dwell within and that is making you more rational
1: yeah. Well, it's it, yeah. Again, it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Well, I guess the the rational world that we live in often feels like a, a kind of prison, right? Yes. Because we're 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 trapped in con- conceptual models of things, and that's one of the reasons why you would you know you would you would want to to break frame or uh, well, you know do fasting or, or you know or go out yep. in, into into nature and and um, you know ha- have all kinds of uh, let's say of those kind of experiences.
0: Well, this brings me to another point. And, uh, and, you know, I think Ian's bang on about the left and right stuff. But there's another, there's another opponent process that we need to bring into the discussion here, which is the relationship, like, because we're constantly toggling between being task-centered and mind-wandering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the and the point of mind wandering, I would argue, at least one of its functions mind wandering, oh yeah, is to break frame. It's to it's to yeah. it's to bring in some mild distraction, take you into a weird sort that's of.
1: That's Guy again, <laughs> our guy. Sorry, I keep saying yeah. Guy because I'm in France, but uh, I th- I think that's that's what Guy does. Well, see, Heidegger was
0: about wandering. So yeah. what he's trying to do is, you know, I think, what Heidegger is doing is, you know, if you just stay on the path, that's like the machine that's going to overfit, right? And Mm -hmm. what you need to do is you need to wander a bit, right? You need to go off almost like in mind wandering. And what that does is allow you to, you know, introduce some noise, introduce some variation, break some frame so that, so, but you keep moving forward, but you're now actually improving your connectedness to the world rather Mm -hmm. than just getting to your destination on your path.
1: Ah, yeah. And that, that also speaks to the pathology of modernity, right? Um, is that we don't, maybe we don't wander enough. We don't,
0: we don't wander we, enough. Han says we don't, we fill up the enough. space
1: too much with, 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 uh, you know, information.
0: Yeah. And salience. And, and, um, and we, it, it, like, that, that's why I also pointed out Han's notion of lingering. It's not only that we fill up the space, we, right? We, we, we well, take Heidegger, being in yeah. time, that your being is inhen- inherently temporal, right? And so your wh- your perspectival and participatory knowing of time, because uh, you don't know time in any other way, right? Uh-huh. Augustine famously said this. I know what time is until somebody asks me what it is, because right, you only know time by being in time right by being a temporal thing mm-hmm. but so your existential mode with respect to time how you're experiencing that's the wrong word that's the only word i have how you're mm-hmm. participating maybe let me let me use that word how you're participating in time existentially has a huge impact on the, the kind of being you can be and so han's point is we are moving into a culture in which we can't linger we can't we can't we can't flow with things we th- everything is atomized. We're going well, down, just to like the,
1: minutes and seconds. Uh, you know, time yes, is time is his uh, um, cut up.
0: That's exactly it's the idea. Elements, yeah. mm-hmm. And so you you don't get any flow. You get you get the um, you, you get sort of the salient second, right? Uh, you know. Um, so a lot of people have met uh, talked to me about this, and you know we're seeing are um, we're seeing this consistent trend towards the death of melody in popular music, that mm-hmm, we're losing right. melodic complexity and that- Well, we're then we have to just sound.
1: compress sound all the time with MP3s, yep. it's extreme compression of sound.
0: Extreme um, compression of sound and salience it, and salience and intensity are uh, taking up the place of right complexity and development. Uh-huh, right? sure. So you don't have to follow a long piece of music and go through all kinds of transformation. You can instantly, without effort, get sort of hit by- the same product, right?
1: Yeah, than, yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, and that's and so what that means for us is that, uh, like I said, it's it's also that we can't linger, we can't stay with things in a way that affords us remembering the projects of aspiration.
1: Yeah, I think of like going to the galleries. Like I live near in Paris, and and um, um, there's all these galleries. And how many people look at a painting? You know. Yes. How, how many people go into it and and actually just stay with the painting and look at the painting and and find that a valuable experience, right? Yes. Most yes. people would 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 sort of you know look at the painting and like take a snapshot. you know picture snapshot of yeah. it with their iPhone and say I've been there and I've seen that painting, but but uh,
0: but that that goes to just what I said. The point yeah. is to collect atoms, to collect yeah. moments that are atomized and are removed from a flow of development. They're just snapshots.
1: Okay. Yeah. Right? I think I think the remedy to that. One of the remedies I've seen is, is is probably meditation in some sense because, yep, for for our modern times, you know,
0: I, I think so. because
1: it's how else can you how else can you because there's so much stimulus all the time how else can you take a break from that and, um,
0: I think I think I think I think both meditation and contemplation are mm-hmm. are needed, sure, because uh, you have to break frame and make frame. Um, I I think uh, being able to enter into dialogos. To enter into a conversation.
1: Oh, that's that, a new thing for me. Like that's like yeah. I, I've been meditating for years, but but you and Guy, and that, that's a that's a new kind of possibility for me. I hadn't really thought of that so much. <laughs> wow. Well,
0: I mean, this is the this is part of the Platonic notion that um, training your rationality in the sense I've been arguing for, and training your sociality are deeply interpenetrating things. That's why he presents his philosophy in a dialogue because uh-huh. you're not you're you're those two those two things our ability to connect to distributed cognition and participate in collective intelligence and collective rationality or dare I say it, collective wisdom mm-hmm. it it's it's in resonance with our individual project of aspiring to rationality and wisdom these two things mutually afford and depend on each other
1: mm, awesome yeah 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 um and also I, I was just sort of thinking about how how um why this sort of conversation is compelling oh. to, to people and stuff which it, it's kind of a weird thing it's like a homeless we're like homeless here or something yeah. i was saying that to, to, to uh to guy last night it's like we're putting in these videos on youtube it's not part of the mainstream culture um but it seems to be there seems to be a need for 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 that kind of Oh totally.
0: I think the the online world, I mean it has it has sort of it has some of the greatest magnifiers of the things that exacerbate the meaning crisis Yeah. But you know, Heidegger talks about where, you know, where I think he's uh Holderline, he quotes, where the danger is, there they're also the future grows. I think it's a translation Mm -hmm. I might have mistranslated. But the basic idea is, you know. Because it's it's a, it's destabilizing the system. It's also it also it can be an affordance of the system going through self-transcendence rather than disintegration.
1: Or you could even so say I, death and rebirth of some yeah kind,
0: kind of thing. Yeah. You was know, back to a sh- shamanic kind of idea. Hmm. And uh, so what what I think. What's happening with the, Chris and I talk about the meta conversation. You have all these conversations, and then what YouTube is doing is setting up this thing where people are having conversations, but they're doing them with the awareness, right? The connectivity to other conversations. So Mm -hmm. there's not only a dialogos within a conversation, there's this dialogos that's taking place between all of these conversations and the way they constrain and impregnate and engender each other in this kind of complex self-organizing dynamic, which is really, really important because you see the same thing again, at least analogous in the platonic dialogues. You shouldn't just ever read one platonic dialogue. That's a mistake. Mm-hmm. You should read because you should read
1: all of it's the an ecosystem d- again of, of yes
0: all uh, of yes exactly all of the dialogues are speaking uh-huh. to and influencing and changing and affecting each other in powerful ways and we're doing something analogous to that here's a dialogue and yeah. then you've got one with guy and then they're t- they'll talk to each other and speak to each other. In yeah that,
1: that will inform me to speak to you and then somebody else might get a little something yeah. out of this and bring it yeah yeah yeah.
0: Again, to bring a, 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 a Socratic-Platonic thing in, there's a, the possibility for anagogia. That's that reciprocal opening that you and I have talked about before.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: So a good conversation, when it when it moves into dialogos, you've got the reciprocal opening that's happening, and that, of course, is again a kind of love, right? Because when uh-huh. people get into a reciprocal opening, they, the experience they have the experience of the uh, affective state. Love isn't an emotion; it's a higher-order affective state. But it's a it's an affective state, yeah. right, of love. And that's, again, how the rationality and the sociality and the love are all bound together.
1: Uh-huh, we should gotcha. put them
0: all back together.
1: Uh-huh, gotcha. Yeah, they're, they're all sort of in little islands over here, and they need to come into yeah. one, one, one place.
0: Exactly, that's exactly. Uh
1: uh-huh. huh. Hmm.
0: That's, why, that's why I'm as critical of romanticism as I am of empiricism. Because mm-hmm. both of them keep all of those things apart, but for different reasons, for different positions that they hold. And different epistemologies and metaphysics, yeah. and I think all of them are therefore equally at fault for keeping those things apart. Um, now, I mean, I'm doing a bit of a, you know, a gloss. Well, that was my
1: other question. Course. Actually, I wrote that down. Yeah. It's like, what what can we what can we take from Romanticism? Because Romanticism is so powerful. It's so, uh, you know, it's but that's so, the thing. So, so it's so, uh, you know, it's no, so, no, no, we no. need that, and on, on some level, especially in our. Um, you know, online world, people are so blasé and stuff. We we need the we I, I don't know. I have a feeling that, um, that we need we need grander sort of experiences and emotions that that that, that we're being too uh, polite and timid and and it's it's like being in a cage of some kind. And romanticism is like trying to break that cage a little bit. It is. I mean.
0: So again, I was going to engage in some self-criticism and you've actually uh, allowed me to do so. So thank you for that. I mean, I, I, I try to make a distinction between what I call decadent romanticism, which is sort of our folk psychological version of romanticism, uh-huh, and abortion, sure. right? Um, and sometimes I have not been careful enough about that. And so I do apologize to people. Um, because you have to take a look at like just like I don't think you should talk about postmodernism in, in like oh this, sure hmm. you should zero in on particular thinkers and particular arguments because there's variation um, and so um, here's what I want to say and, and especially the I, I don't even know I want to call them romantics the the early uh, the you know the early post Kantians like Schlegel and people like that um, I I think are actually saying things remarkably similar to what I'm trying to argue for um, and. But the romanticism that you get, especially Rousseau's version of romanticism, yeah, which Rousseau. is a, which is a prototypical version of it, is it thing about romanticism? And, and, and I want to say this. I want to try and say, convey something, and I'm going to say it carefully and hopefully provocatively. It's closer to the truth than the empir, than empiricism, and therefore it's 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 more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's more dangerous. Is uh, that
1: because it's not contained in uh, it's say, because how- it's not contained in a collective experience, it's it's sort of
0: okay. There, there's that, so you've got Rousseau's um, um, glorification of individual subjectivity, okay. You know, that's clearly in Rousseau, right? Yeah, um, uh, I mean, he does have stuff about the general will, but when we're talking about how he's a, uh, a father of uh, romanticism, this, the the glorification of individual subjectivity is there. Uh, The idea that you come with a true self that you must be true to, which is antithetical to the idea of aspiration. So it's antithetical Mm to the Socratic ideal of aspiration. The idea that um, this subjectivity should be thought of. So how how am I trying to, when Rousseau's talking about it, he he does not express enough worry about the the problem of self-deception. Sort of separating all of this from rationality, as I've tried to describe, to describe it, right, the, the Socratic notion of overcoming the ways in which we deceive ourselves and bullshit ourselves, yeah. this exploration and expression of your individual subjectivity and your capacity by, through imagination and will for imposing an order on the world, well, think about how that could just be filled with self-deception. Right? Like you know, like, like projection and bias and prejudice, like all of those things, right? And so yeah. romanticism doesn't it's it's separated itself off from deep concerns uh, about um, human uh, the human proclivity for self-deceptive, self-destructive behavior, which is why yeah. we we get the, the, the almost the romantic trope of you know how living romantically ultimately is kind of self-destructive of the people who try to to live that way you can see that in you know sort of weathering heights kind of stuff right oh, oh yeah <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah my mother read that book like 20 times you <laughs> know like some there's it's so appealing to people uh, uh, yeah i guess there's a self uh, um destructive element in, in that or well there can also a, a hatred of civilization or a hatred of yeah. our efforts to 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 you know, um, you know, build things and yep
0: yep. So there there is a lot of. So it was a terrific, and I, I want to catch both senses of that word. It was a terrific, terrific strategy for breaking the frame. Of empiricist enlightenment for breaking the frame that John Locke gave us, of the tabular uh, as a mind and the world imposes itself and the finger of the world writes on my mind. It was a great counteractive to that, yeah. but I think it it generates its own frame that needs to be broken and broken beyond. Oh,
1: that's well said. Yeah, that's great. Mm. Mm. That's why Heidegger
0: is so interested in being, because. Right. And and challenging the idea that we should impose our will on the world, right, that the world is just a standing reserve, because part of what Heidegger's trying to get us to remember is, you know, Locke has the mind as a blank slate, but Rousseau has the world as a blank canvas upon which we paint our subjectivity. Mm-hmm. And Heidegger is trying to get us to remember, no, no, it's not a blank canvas. It's a world. It is deep and profound and beyond us.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Mm. And it discloses itself, you know, as it
0: will, who uh-huh. feeds us. I've heard two pronunciations, and I keep getting corrected by both camps on how I should pronounce uh, the Greek term. I, I was, I was bro- in my intellect, in my undergrad, everybody pronounced it as phusis, but I've now been told, no, it's not, more like physis or physis or something, or physis, right? That's the um, word
1: disclosure in, in Heidegger? Well, it's
0: the word that we get physics from, but it, mean, oh. it, it means the oh. way in which nature blossoms from itself, uh, blooms from itself, but also the way in which nature loves to hide itself.
1: Ah, uh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heidegger is another subject. Yeah, that's uh.
0: yeah. And I mean, I'm having um, uh, excellent conversations with Johannes about this, and uh, I think it's up on his channel. I'm going to put up the dialogue that I had with him. Excellent. We're going to have another and he and Guy and I are going to talk shortly about sort of Heidegger. Uh, but I'm going to put up the the dialogue I had with Johannes. I'm doing the, I'm doing a couple. New series, right? I'm doing the minding media series, but I'm also doing this series. I haven't titled it yet But what I'm having just I'm trying to exemplify Dialectic, which is the psychotechnology of engendering dialogos. I'm trying to exemplify that and get into these Like these discussions where we're exemplifying and explicating What, do, what does spirituality mean within the scientific worldview and the meaning crisis? What does that mean for us?
1: Uh-huh, right.
0: And he, we had an excellent conversation on Heidegger and science and technology.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I, I saw I saw about half of it, and I was always I, I oh, up on his right. channel. I
0: guess yeah. yeah. I'm going to re- release it on mine later.
1: The other, uh, do you think you've said what you wanted to say about 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 wisdom and 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 uh, and rationality and well, intelligence? Say, is there is there any is there I any say loose ends here?
0: Yeah, I want to say one more thing about sort of clarifying a bit the relationship between wisdom and rationality. <clears throat> I think that we should think of ecologies of practices for each one of the kinds of knowing that yeah. make us more rational. So, you know, ecologies of practices for <clears throat> propositional knowing, ecologies of practices for procedural knowing, ecologies of uh, practices for perspectival and participatory. Do so you have, have some
1: examples?
0: Um, well, I it- think the ecology of practice for propositional knowing, we've, we've, we've got I mean, that's what we, and we think we know what we're talking about when we use this term I'm going to use, but if you do any philosophy around this, we don't actually know what we mean, and this is the term science. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Science is a whole ecology of practices, and it's bound up with history, right? Uh And it's this way of trying to get, uh, to be as rational as we can, because the scientific method, it's actually a family of methods is not about coming to certain conclusions it's about really trying to reduce the influence of self-deception on our inferential processes and our propositional knowing that's what actually is going on the science science is largely about trying to set things up so that we can break through our patterns of self-deception right Mm -hmm. now you have similar things right in your procedural knowing and this is where you know i think the martial arts traditions give us fantastic Example, right? Uh, how to cultivate ecologies of practices, and this is where Rafe Kelly is just doing some amazing and important work, right? <clears throat> on, 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 on this kind of thing, not right. Um, the, the way he's using parkour and integrating it with martial art practice and mindfulness. Go and see some of the his videos. See some of the uh, dialogues I've had with him. The perspectival knowing. Well, that that of course, that's where all the stuff on attention and awareness, the mindfulness practices, right, the flow induction practices are really important. Mm
1: -hmm. And the participatory
0: knowing. That's where the theologos.
1: That's what this is. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Participatory knowing. We're trying
0: to. We're trying to. We're trying to alter our not just our our thoughts, but our identities. The way in which we're mutually shaping each other, the way we're being the way us and the world are engaging. So I'm I'm entering into reciprocal opening with you, but together we're also trying to enter into reciprocal opening with the world, right? Uh-huh. And so yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. So here's my point. There, let's say there are reliable, systematic, and reliable kinds of rationality for each of the kinds of knowing. There's propositional rationality, procedural rationality, perspectival rationality. And participatory. Then you need something that optimizes the relationship between all of those rationalities. Hmm. That's wisdom.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh huh. So wisdom is about the relationship. It's between about between of, between all. It's about it's kind of the the whole or, yes. or the. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay.
0: Okay, I see. It's kind of it's wisdom is very much a kind of meta rationality, right? yeah at least that's how i would argue i think that i think that it's not identical to what is that the, like gnosis
1: um, that the word gnosis came to me to me is that um i is, think or of, or no i tend that...
0: to think of each one of them i tend to think of <coughs> episteme for propositional techne okay. uh, for procedural noesis for perspectival and gnosis for participatory and then i think sophia and phronesis describe the two aspects of wisdom, the bottom up aspect, that's phronesis and the top down aspect. So when I, wow. and when I'm coordinating those four kinds of knowing, I need a powerful, I need a lot of bottom up and I need a lot of top down. I need phronesis and I need Sophia.
1: Uh-huh. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. That's, that's a whole structure. you. Uh... Well,
0: uh, you know, it goes towards the work I'm doing with uh, Daniel Craig on the cognitive continuum, by the way, I, I I just want to mention I have an Indiegogo campaign uh, for uh, and I'm not getting any money from that campaign or from the book the money is I'm I'm a university professor I get a salary I'm fine yeah. Daniel is a student and he's committing to working on this book with me and it's not yeah. just writing he's generating art he's putting he's basically like, you know, like the movie producer as well as a co-author mm. so this money is to help to support him as he's doing all of this work but That what we're talking about in the cognitive continuum is exactly this because I think and I try to argue that in the series I think we can get also Instead of like instead of building a mystique around these terms and and this is where uh, like Evan Thompson's work I think is really important. Also uh, Stephen Batchelor both of them are now um, Mm post-Buddhist Because they object to Buddhist Buddhist exceptionalism the idea that Buddhism is somehow a special or privileged religion compared to all the rest because it's somehow scientific um and i oh, agree
1: with you. yeah I, I object to that as well
0: i i, yeah, I knew no, you I, would i knew you would and, and you have to remember that both Stephen and i know i have met Stephen, had dinner with him and evan is a colleague and friend of mine they're both deep they're deep friends of buddhism these are not hostile yeah Christians yeah outside right and so right they point to the fact that What's happened is this let's take a term like enlightenment, it's bound up with entire cultural projects and world views, and it, it often has this mystique around it. I remember, I, let me t- to tell you how this frustrates me. I, you know, I've asked Buddhists, you know, how many people in the world do you think are enlightened right now? And they'll say, well, I'll probably no one. And then it sort of my mind to go, well, what the heck is it for then? Right? I mean, the term is meaningless, right? And, and uh-huh. so, so I think instead, just like I tried to if you'll allow me, I tried to re- reverse engineer wisdom. I tried to build it up out of, yeah. right, and, and, and in terms of what we want it to do and how we're. Well, I think we should do the same thing with enlightenment. I think enlightenment is, we should reverse engineer it.
1: Oh, it's a terrible word, isn't it? It's just.
0: It's a terrible word. And, <laughs> uh, and what I yeah. think we should do is, right, this this is how I want to use the word. And maybe we should use a different word because, because of the critiques that Stephen. And especially Evan or Megan But I want any so once I have wisdom, if the two are going to be bound together, I want a wise ecology of practices that helps me transform cognition, consciousness, character, and communitas so that I can systematically and reliably overcome the perennial problems of self-deception and self-destruction, and afford enhancing all of the connections, what I call religio, that are so constitutive of meaning in life. For me, that's enlightenment. Mm-hmm. It, because I, I, if, it, if it has to be some other deep metaphysical thing, I don't care. Because I want to be able to help people alleviate you know, the suffering of the perennial problems and afford the flourishing of enhanced connectivity to themselves, to each other in the world.
1: Mm, yeah, so you want to stay within in the real I guess uh,
0: I want to, and I'm going to stipulate how I'm going to use the term and I'm trying I'm and so there. I'm I'm saying I'm not using it ambiguously I'm trying to not use it in a way that is loaded into a particular uh, uh, I mean, I, I can't be completely free of a cultural worldview But I'm not trying to bind it to a particular cultural tradition Instead I'm trying to pick up on what science gives us access to is universal features and principles of our cognition and then build a notion that is pragmatically engineered for a specific set of what wi- badly and widely needed
1: goals. Hmm, yeah. So I guess the reason this, this term is so offensive is that it kind of, I was just thinking that it kind of, it implies a, a pr- an end product or something.
0: It, 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 so I'm d- deeply critical of that. I'm deeply critical of sort of the perfection completion um, aspects of the term enlightenment. Uh-huh. I'm deeply critical of the the people refuse to acknowledge that they're sliding between something that's explaining the world and something that's evaluating the world. Right? It's to use sort of technical language, and this is one of Evan's criticisms. Like you don't want to you don't want to confuse your best description of how reality is with your your best sort of normative claims about how things should be. Those aren't those aren't the same. And so, for example, why does that matter? Well, science isn't doing that second thing. Science is not in the project of this is the way things should be. This is, the, you know, this is moral This is moral excellence. This is aesthetic excellence. Science isn't in the, it doesn't have the machinery for doing that. Science is about trying to give the best explanations. Um, it doesn't really afford us in our aspirational projects. And so I think Buddhism is an aspirational project. And therefore, to pretend that it's sort of, I, I, it's it's a, it's also deeply scientific. Ah, that's a category mistake. Yeah, it's and, a
1: category mistake for sure. It's not. You know, so, science is one way of knowing, right? And then Buddhism might be another. I, I right.
0: And, and, well, and, and I think right. Buddhism is it, it addresses something that science doesn't address, which is a aspirational project of transformation and self transcendence, uh-huh. and right, and that is going to have a historical cultural aspect to it, right? Yeah. So. I think what we should do, what we're trying to do, what Daniel and I are trying to do, is well, let's look at different cultural models, and then let's look at this engineering, this pragmatically engineering sense of enlightenment that I've just given you, and let's put them into dialogue and try and get some convergent thing that maybe has less of the off-putting mystique of a lot of because you know when you when you talk to people about enlightenment, it, 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 it verges on the you know the supernatural, and the, the person is becoming godlike. Uh-huh. And, it's like, and it's like, well, if that's what it is, then—and I don't mean this disrespectfully to Buddhists—but I'm not interested in that. I'm mm-hmm. really not interested in in in, in and
1: godlike God. people or yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm interested. I, you know, I, I I'm interested in the aspiration to becoming more and more at one. sort of the sacred depths of reality but that's Uh very different from it's a
1: that's a question of growth not a question of some ultimate state or
0: yes some ultimate state and some and some ultimate transhuman state um Mm -hmm. so there's a bit of a nietzschean critique in in my head here about stop like yeah you you should be overcoming yourself but you should never be abandoning your humanity in that project um Mm -hmm. so i
1: see
0: I, i guess I guess, I, I'm gonna say something a little pro, a bit provocative here. I, I find humanity ultimately good enough. This is why I love Conrad so much. The Heart of Darkness, you compare Marlow and Kurtz. Kurtz mm. takes on the hubristic past of becoming a god, right? And then he suffers the horror, the horror, the horror. Yeah. Marlow makes conscious decision to act to exercise restraint and stay with his humanity. Right, that he will not, even though he'll follow the journey, he'll go all the way to Steen Kurtz. He will never abandon his humanity. That's why the heart of darkness, I think, is such a yeah. powerfully important myth. Well, that seems of, to be the
1: Bodhisattva vow. If if I'm defending Buddhism a little bit, okay, sure. Uh huh. Is 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 to do just that, isn't it? It's not. It's not too accept. State,
0: yeah, I think the Bodhisattva. It might have been a bit of a corrective then in Mahayana for Theravadin, uh, the because the Bodhisattva is therefore. Right, much more different than the Arhat in some ways. Yeah, that's that's a good thought. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, the, because there's a there's a commitment to staying with humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you okay, well, so, know, yeah, uh, cool. and and that that every being is your they call it mother being. It's like every being is your mother, and and you you have to liberate every being. It's it's a yeah. wild sort of idea, but it's it's a sort of wild heroic idea that's.
0: But, it, but it's not deep. very
1: rational, certainly. Or not well, very, I think it's rational in the way I would it say. It is but. rational. Here we go again. It's just a, I can't get the folk rational idea out of my head.
0: But I, I like that. I'm the sorry. is a, a way of deeply binding the Enlightenment project to humanity. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, Andrew. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that.